Well, thank you for being here this morning. I invite you to turn, please, to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And uh, I have uh, I've entitled this message here, the, the Challenge of Ministry. And if you have uh, served the Lord in any capacity, you realize that ministry uh, has its challenges, uh, both inside and outside the church. Uh, we are quite familiar with Jesus' mandate that he gave to the disciples and ultimately to the church to, to make disciples of all the nations by proclaiming the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And we're to share that gospel, that good news, and to do it in both word and with our deeds. Secondly, as part of that mandate, Jesus commanded us to teach those who become followers of Christ, who are believers, to obey everything that Jesus commanded. This is an ongoing process in our lives, and it's a, it's a lifelong process of learning, uh, applying, uh, and living out what the Bible uh, says to us and teaches us. When we come to the book of Acts, we see that the church in Acts was growing at an exponential rate. Uh, you'll recall that on the day of Pentecost, initially there were 120 that were gathered, and the Lord added to that uh, about 3,000. And then Peter preaching in another context, another 2,000 were added, and, it, and, uh, and then others were added beyond that. Uh, and so imagine having a church of 120, roughly about our size, 100, uh, becoming a church of 5,000 you know, within a few short uh, weeks or months. Uh, certainly there would be problems that would come with that. Uh, and... Uh, Certainly, problems within a church or a congregation are, are, I think, a normal part of church life. But there always needs to be care because problems can hinder God's work if it's not addressed properly. In fact, the enemy of our souls will use even the smallest of things in our midst to hamper and prevent the work of God uh, from advancing. Uh, and I think that that uh, should be a reminder to us that we always need to be on guard, uh, that we don't allow little things to become big problems uh, when they could easily be addressed and, and, and dealt with and rectified. Well, Acts uh, 6, uh, the, uh, the entire chapter really shows us the challenge of ministry uh, and the responses uh, that uh, they had as well as we can have uh, among ourselves uh, and also to the world around us. Uh, this portion is instructive for us who live in the 20th century, uh, 21st century, excuse me, as part of Christ's church. And so I'd like to have you turn to that passage if you haven't done so already, and I'd like to, uh, to read it for us here this morning, Acts chapter uh, 6, the, the entire chapter, which is 15 verses. We read, uh, now in those days the disciples were increasing in number, and a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. 
And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they sent before the apostles and prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of Alexander, Alexandrians and of those from Sicilia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. They could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him to the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look at this portion of your word this morning, we ask that you, O Lord, would give us understanding and insight, and that, Lord, we might take your word and by the Spirit's work apply it and live it out in our individual lives and among ourselves as the body of Christ. And, uh, Father, we will give you thanks and praise, for it's in Jesus' name and for his sake that we ask these things. Amen. I see in these first seven verses here, um, though the word is not used here, the need for deacons. Uh, the ones that are selected in this context were uh, selected to serve. And we read about in 1 Timothy and also in Titus uh, some of the responsibilities and also the qualifications that later Paul was inspired to pen that tell us about what is necessary for a deacon to serve the church in this particular way. So there was the challenge of ministry and this challenge came from within. There was complaining from within. So here was the situation. The church was growing as we're told in verse 1. It was increasing uh, in number, uh, and with growth comes uh, eventual problems. 
But there was a particular uh, uh, situation that arose among the believers. We're, we're told about two groups here, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. Now, these were Jewish people who came to faith in Jesus as the Messiah, and they were part of then the church, the body of Christ. Uh, and there was, uh, interestingly, this conflict that arose. Uh, these, these Hellenistic Jews were those who came to faith in Christ as Lord and Savior. The reason, the reason that they were described as Hellenistic was because they no doubt uh, came from uh, the Jews that had been dispersed uh, from the time of the Babylonian captivity onward, uh, and they lived in other communities, and they spoke Greek. Um, in fact, they used the Old Testament uh, Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, but they, being Greek-speaking individuals, used that Greek uh, Old Testament. In a lot of ways, these, these Hellenistic uh, Jewish believers also had adopted uh, some of the Greek culture uh, and mindset and incorporated that into their lifestyle and maybe even into their form of worship. By way of contrast, the Hebraic Jews were those who spoke Hebrew or spoke Aramaic. They used the Hebrew Old Testament, and maybe uh, they saw themselves as the pure Jewish people because they were closer, if you would, to the original. Can anyone see a possible conflict that might arise uh, in this context? You know, there are, are things uh, that do uh, divide individuals. Um, here's an example of it here in our context. But just if you think about uh, the natural world around us, some of the things that divide us include language, culture, race, economic status, political points of view, sometimes even personalities. Uh, have you ever said something like, that person just bugs me. They're just annoying. And it's not because of anything necessarily wrong with the individual, it's just their personality clashes with yours. You know, and that doesn't end in the church. We, we have a mistaken notion if we think all of that is left at the door and when we're together as God's people that that doesn't affect us. Uh, you look at the church and you, you have divisions that come about through th theological positions that are taken. Sometimes the division comes about because of the approach that is taken to ministry. Sometimes it's related to the type of music that a church may use as part of worship. Uh, sometimes we talk about how they were uh, maybe divided over the, the version of the Old Testament that they used. What about versions of the Bible? We don't have that, do we? Ever been part of a church that's King James only? You know, and the thought is, if it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for us. I had, I had an experience at the previous church I served where the pastor on that day, uh, he typically preached from the NIV, and uh, he had a scripture reading, and there was a couple in the church that they were King James only. And uh, he read the scripture, and he made a point of saying this is the NIV for whatever reason. He felt he needed to 
clarify that, and he read it, and as soon as he finished the scripture verse, they closed their Bible and walked out the door. So you say that, well, that doesn't happen in the church. Yes, it does today. But here in this context, the, uh, the widows were being cared for. This was uh, commanded by the Old Testament, uh, that those who were, who were needy were, were helped. Uh, and the church was doing that, as we've already seen in the book of Acts. Um, and uh, the Hellenistic believers were being overlooked as they were distributing food or resources or help. And granted, it might have been an oversight in, in some part, or it may have even been somewhat deliberate because of the, the differences that are there. Um, and so they, they began to complain. Um, and, and the word here for complaint means uh, a, a displeasure or a complaining that is uh, more private than it is public. It's the idea of a secret displeasure or maybe a, a murmuring that's, that's going on. Now, to be sure, their, their, their grievance, if you would, was legitimate. I'm not saying that they were just looking for trouble. There are some people in congregations that are like that. They're just looking for trouble. They're just always looking for something to rub them the wrong way so that they can have a reason to complain about something. But here it was valid, it was legitimate, it was grounded. You know, and the scripture tells us that we're to do all things without grumbling or complaining, according to Philippians. But they had a legitimate uh, concern. In fact, James later on would write in his letter in James 1.27 that religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, in their distress, and to keep oneself uh, unstained uh, from the world to help those who, who have need. So they were being overlooked uh, and uh, you know, they, were, they were complaining about it. Maybe among themselves, but word got back to the, to the apostles about this. And so in verse 2, you have the apostles calling a congregational meeting. I'll call it that because that's what we're familiar with. He called the congregation together. And, and notice that they, they say here, as leaders of the church, they're speaking to this issue uh, that it's not right for them that they should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Someone might look at that statement initially and say, what, did they think they were too good for that? Uh, can't they do both? Uh, by the way, which ministry is more important? Is it, the, is it the ministry of the Word or is it the ministry of serving others? Well, the answer to that in the context would suggest that it's both. It's both. You know, the Lord never intended that the ministry be done by a few, but by all. In fact, uh, the church that I attended and was a member and, and had my mentorship with under Sam Rotman, the Harbor Creek Evangelical Free Church, used to have on the front of their, their bulletin, uh, Sam Rotman, pastor, you know, how you put that on the front there, uh, all the congregation ministers. It, it, God never intended that the ministry in the church be vested in one person or even a group of leaders. 
the ministry of the church is to be conducted by the church, the body of Christ. Ministry is not the exclusive work of the professional pastor, missionary, evangelist, or whatever other ministry you may be ordained to or uh, the leader of. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a passage you're very familiar with, tells us this in chapter 12, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are one, or many are one body, so it is with Christ. Uh, Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, but does that make any less a part of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am an eye, I don't belong to the body, for that reason, would it make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And Paul goes on to say that that God has arranged the body of Christ with its individual parts to to function as one body. Uh, In fact, we read at the middle of verse 24, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked, verse 25, that there be no division in the body. There should be no schism. There should be no dissension in the body of Christ. And that happens when each of the individual parts is doing what God has called them to do. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that God gave to the church these gifts as apostles, verse 11, and prophets, and evangelists, and shepherds, some translations say pastors and teachers. And what are the functions of those roles? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. God gives leadership within the church to equip all of us that we would use our abilities that he's deposited within us to serve the body of Christ and beyond. It's never meant to be vested in the pastor, you know, or the elders or the deacons to do everything. Uh, I remember uh, hearing a story one time of Warren Wearsby. And if you're familiar with Moody Church or even back to the Bible, you remember Warren Wearsby had a very distinctive type of voice, a nasally voice, something like that. And he says one time he was over at the, uh, the parsonage and there was a man working on some electrical work that was in the needed to be fixed there, and he was admiring this guy's knowledge and ability to, to work on that electrical work in the, in the thing, and he just says, oh, I wish I could do what you can do. And the man said to him in response, well, that's just not your gift. <laughs> and I can identify with that because sometimes I don't know which end of a hammer to use. I, I, can, I can understand that, you know. But we have a mistaken notion in the church that we think that those who are, who are, if you would, the professional pastor should have all the gifts and abilities to do everything that needs to be done. Now granted, there are times that you're called upon to do things that are way beyond your ability, and God is always our ability, even if he does gifts us, it's always his ability. 
but it was never intended that one person or a group of people do the ministry. You are the ministers. You, the body of Christ, are the ministers. You know? And the apostles realize that, and they say it's not for us to leave the preaching of the word of God. That is what he's called us specifically to do and to serve tables. It's not that serving tables is beneath us. It's not that serving tables is something we can't do. It's just he's already given us our responsibility. So they hear, back to Acts chapter 6, they say, here's what we need to do. And notice they involve the congregation. They don't speak ex cathedra from the top down and say, this is what's going to be done. Here's how it's going to be done. They involve the congregation to have part in what is going to be done to, to remedy this situation. And so what they do here is they tell them, verse 3, pick from among yourselves seven men. Now, we could spend a lot of time debating or discussing and saying seven was the number of completion or perfection. I just think that that was the number that was needed. You know, I mean, some, again, you're going to have a church that's going to look at that and become so, so literal with the text to say that we can't function unless we have seven deacons in our church. I don't think that that's the purpose of that. I think that they needed a certain number and they picked seven. And notice the qualifications that they had to have to serve tables. Now, I'm not minimizing serving tables, but some people might look at that and say, well, anybody can serve a table. Anybody can put food on a plate and hand it to someone. I mean, anybody can do that. But notice this was a, this was a spiritual ministry of serving a plate of food. And notice the, the, the qualifications that were necessary for that if you're going to do it as unto Christ. They had to be of good repute which means that they were people of integrity. That their, their character reflected Christ. They were honest. You had a good report. I mean, you ask people, what, what are they like? And the reports that were coming back were good. When I interviewed for the position of pastor here at the church, one of the things that they asked you for is references. And if you're honest, you're putting down references of people who know you for who you are. And they call and they ask, what, what is this person like? That's a good thing. Does he have a good reputation? Does she have a good reputation? That's what they did, and they found these individuals. Secondly, it says here that they were individuals who were full of the Spirit. They were yielded to God in their lives. Spirit of God was not just something that they talked about. It's, it's the Spirit of God who, who moved them, who motivated them, who energized them, who directed them, who was evidently working in their lives and that they were surrendered to the will of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. And they were also individuals who were full of wisdom. Wisdom is the God-given ability to, to apply the Word of God in such a way that it's practical and it's always right. It's the right thing to do. So you see they had specific qualifications for those to serve in this particular, uh, this particular ministry. And notice this. He says, they say here, whom you will choose, but we will appoint to this duty. So it's not like the, the, the leadership through the apostles didn't have any uh, part in this. They, they, they came alongside of this them. And verse 4 says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer 
into the ministry of the Word. The apostles, in, in their God-given responsibility and role, primarily were just to spend time in prayer, in intercession, uh, and the ministry of the Word, which meant studying it, proclaiming it, teaching it, making it uh, uh, understandable so people can, can take that word to heart and put it into practice as well. That's not to say that the apostles didn't do other things. We've already seen them being used by God to minister to others in various ways. But this was their primary focus. I remember in Bible college that uh, the pastor that we had that led the pastoral ministries program looked at all of us who were in that pastoral ministries class and said, that is your responsibility, to pray and to preach. That is your primary responsibility as a pastor. That is how you shepherd the flock through prayer and the ministry of the word. And that doesn't mean the pastor doesn't do anything else, but that should be your primary focus as pastor. And why? Because Ephesians chapter 4 says it's through these gifts, pastor being one of them, that the body of Christ is built up and equipped to serve. I think it's a sad commentary when we do not put a premacy on the preaching of God's word in his church. And we think that the pastor should be a CEO or an executive or a financial wizard or some type of great administrative great man in that regard. I don't have those skills. I don't have that skill set. So, and I'm glad that this congregation loves the word of God to hear it proclaimed. Uh, I think there's a good match here between pastor and congregation. Um, so they chose these seven. And uh, the congregation was, was happy with the approach to this. And they chose Stephen who was a man, the scripture tells us, who was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He, uh, he was one who demonstrated faith in his life. Um, he was a man of faith. We're going to learn more about him in chapter 6 here and 8 through chapter 7, in fact. Um, we also hear about Philip who's mentioned here. We're going to hear about him in Acts chapter 8. Um, the other five that are mentioned in this list, we really know very little about. Uh, the only one that we're given a little bit of detail about is the final one, Nicholas, who it tells us was a proselyte of Antioch, uh, which means that he was, uh, he was from Antioch. He was not Jewish by birth, but he converted to Judaism. He became a proselyte a convert to Judaism, but then when he heard about Jesus, he came to faith in Christ as Messiah. Uh, and so uh, his background was not from, from uh, the Jewish uh, uh, upbringing. Interesting thing about all seven of these is that these were all Hellenistic names or Greek-speaking believers. Isn't that interesting? They didn't say we have to have a majority of, of Hebrew and Greek speakers to try and make this balanced. The problem was, was facing the Hellenistic Jewish believers being overlooked, and they said let's put Hellenistic leaders over that so that they can identify with the needs there and that they can minister to them more effectively rather than trying to find this politically correct balance to do it the right way. 
at least in human thinking. Um, and so notice what happens. Verse 6 tells us that these were set before the apostles. They had an ordination service. I'm calling it that. Uh, and it's based on what it says here in verse 6, that they prayed and they laid their hands on them. They pray over them. They, they commit them to God. Much like we do with the leaders of our congregation, that we pray over them. And I, I trust that you pray for the leaders of this congregation. Not just for me, but for the elders, for the deacons, for those on the governing board, for those who teach Sunday school, for those who lead small groups, for those who are leaders of other ministries, outreach ministries that we have, that you continually keep them in prayer and uphold them in prayer. Because a lot of times the, the, the battle is won on our knees uh, in our lives. So they ordained them. They laid their hands on them. And when they laid their hands on them, they were, they were in essence saying to the congregation and to them that we stand with you in the work that you're called to. We are standing with you. Secondly, they're recognizing them as chosen for this ministry. Now, we're not told what means they used to select these individuals. They were given qualifications and they went through the process. And I think that God accommodates us graciously with whatever system we put in place to sort of safeguard who our leaders might be and how they get into those positions of leadership. People, you know, kind of go back and forth as to church polity, how a church should be organized and function. But there has to be some type of mechanism in which to sort of vet those who are in places of leadership, and they, in fact, did that. And then thirdly, they're, they're laying their hands on them, confirmed uh, in them the authority for their roles. Which meant, this is the ministry God has called you to, ordained you to, now it's your responsibility. You know? I, I doubt that the apostles were there standing over their shoulders and, and, and watching them every five minutes to see if they were doing their job right. You like that kind of uh, manager or, or boss in your job, standing over your shoulder? Uh, oh, you misspelled that word, you know? I don't think they did that. They, 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 by laying their hands on them, they're saying, you, you have the authority. God has given you ability. You're spirit-filled men. You have wisdom. You have faith. You have what God needs, you need from God. Go for it, if I could put it in those terms. And they were launched out into ministry. And here, one of the things that we have come to realize over the last several years here at Faith Alliance Church is that every single one of us has a gift from God. We know that inherently, or we should know that. And one of the things that we've, we've discovered as elders and deacons and myself as the pastor is that one of the things that the local church sometimes struggles with is trying to find an identity. You know, we're known for, you know, and maybe there's just one or two ministries that a church might have, you know. Well, we've discovered that there's a lot of things that God is stirring in our midst for ministry that don't necessarily mean that the whole church has to participate in every single ministry that happens. 
but that God can, can lay upon your heart a particular burden, a particular ministry, a particular need, and you sense that I need to go and do that. And we've discovered that it is our part, at least in part, as your church and as your church leadership, to come alongside of you in that. The blood drive coming this week. God put that on Sue's heart to do that. You say, well, what's the purpose of a blood drive? Well, number one, uh, we give back to the community in that way. Number two, it could potentially bring the community to us. One of the things that we've heard over and over and over again about our church is that it's, it's hidden behind these trees. We don't even know there's a church here. Some people have lived here for 20, 30 years and never even knew there was a church here. Now, that's not to say that our whole goal is just to get people into the church, but it connects us with the community. Now, I did not say, you know what, or the Lord leadership didn't say, you know what, we need to have a blood drive. Let's find somebody in our church that wants to do that. No, God put it within Sue's heart to do that. And prayer walks. He's burdened to do that. We didn't say, we need to have prayer walks in our church, so let's find somebody that wants to do it. God put that on her heart to do that. There have been individuals in this church that have prayed that we can somehow find a way to connect with somebody beyond our own culture in this community. And lo and behold, we have an ESL and citizenship class. Now, we didn't say, we're going to try to connect with somebody. Who should we connect with? How did that happen? The Spirit of God brought that about. And we come alongside. Now, we may not be able to do everything, but we'll do our best in God's grace to help you to do what God is asking you to do in the name of Jesus. Because that's what the body of Christ is to do. We're to minister to one another, but we're to minister beyond. We did not take on love lives thinking, how can we somehow affect the issue of abortion in our community? That was put on the hearts of individuals, and it was brought here, and we participate. You understand here, my friends, that, that God wants to use you in, in some way within this church and beyond to bear fruit for God for Jesus' sake. And again, we're not all gifted to do the same thing. If it's up to me, there's very little I'm going to be doing. And I'm not saying that because I can't participate in things. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But if you think that because you're the professional pastor, you should be able to do it all, my friends, that's not what the Scripture teaches. You are the body of Christ. You are the ministers. And I will do all I can to help you with the word of God to equip you to do what God is calling you to do. The same with our elders and deacons. They will do the same. They will do all that they can to help you to launch you into whatever ministry God is calling to you. And we will stand with you. And we will pray for you. And we will support you. And we will help you. And we'll come alongside of you. And that's what they were doing in this context. And did it work? Did it solve the problem? Did it thwart Satan who wanted to use just that little thing in the church to try and stifle the work of God? Look what it says in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. You know what that means? The gospel continued to get preached. 
It got, was proclaimed. It was being taught. And, and it increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Why? Because the body of Christ was working together. And everybody was using their giftedness in whatever God was calling them to do, and that helped to contribute to the growth of the body of Christ. Not for growth's sake, but because we have a world that we're supposed to reach for Christ with the gospel message. And notice this, a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You say, what's significant about that? Well, Josephus estimated there were probably 20,000 priests in that day. They were Levites. They knew the Old Testament law. They knew the Old Testament sacrificial system. And God was doing a work among those who might seem like an unlikely group of coming to faith in Christ because they would see the, the Old Testament sacrificial system as the only way to God. And God, by his grace, was was redeeming and saving those individuals and bringing them to faith in Jesus Christ. And they were realizing this Old Testament system was never meant to be the, the, the final word concerning our sin and our relationship to God. It's fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So let me conclude with asking you this question. Are you fulfilling God's call on your life? Are you doing what God has asked you to do as a follower of Jesus in this church and beyond. Remember our missionary guest this year, Dan Lawrence? Do you remember what his role in ministry was in France? Hospitality ministry? Kind of interesting in his most recent newsletter that he sent out, one of the things that he uh, mentioned was that being in churches, there seems to be this interest in hospitality ministry. Now, these, these isn't exactly how he worded it, but this was his point. What have you done about that if God has stirred you? Have you taken the next step if God has stirred you with hospitality ministry to say, how can I put that into practice in my life? And I don't know where God may be stirring you. Come and have a conversation with me, with one of our elders, with, with the, the body of Christ, and we will do all we can so that we can function together to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. We can minister to one another. We can minister to those outside of us. And in doing so, we're always mindful of the fact that we need to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that people might hear, that they might believe, that they might be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together in your word this morning. I trust that what I have brought from your word finds fertile soil in each of our hearts to receive your word, to have it germinate and bear fruit in our lives. I thank you, Father, for this church. I thank you for your faithfulness to this congregation for so many years, Lord.
Father, we've never been large in number, but that's certainly not the final test of your blessing. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in the midst of this congregation, in the midst of your people. I thank you, Lord, that you are stirring hearts, that we are seeing ministries opened up and launched. And beginning, Lord, in, in, in ways to impact our community for Jesus' sake. Father, may that continue. Even though there might be times of uncertainty or fear or even frustration, we pray, Lord, that you will continue to fill us with your spirit, instruct us out of your word, and launch each of us into greater effectiveness for gospel proclamation and living for Jesus' sake. We give ourselves to you, Lord. May your will be done in and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.